If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Numbers 21, and uh, I'm continuing the Desert Storm series, and we're just highlighting the warfare that you endure in wilderness seasons of life. You know, the wilderness in the Bible is called a dry place, and it's a place where you learn how to endure and fight the good fight of faith. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it just feels like, you know, wilderness seasons take a long time to get through. And I'm just teaching people how to endure and win battles in life. Now, Numbers 21, and I want to read the first three verses, and then we're going to pray. This is going to set us up. Numbers 21, it says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim, and he fought against Israel, and he took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord. And he said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just thank you for the word of the Lord. God, help me teach it so people understand it. And for anybody in a season that's struggling. For anybody on a journey this morning through the wilderness on a way to their promised land, I pray, Lord, this word would be edifying and comforting. I pray it would build up people and help us endure and persevere through life. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen and amen. You know, it is amazing how fast time goes by, isn't it? Because now we're in October. I have appreciated this wonderful fall weather. Reminded me a bit of the summer. And uh, this summer, I did a lot of camping. I mean, I talked about it quite a bit. You know, we're in that season with kids, and and so we go camping. One of my desires is to go to places that, you know, are off the beaten trail, places that not many people know about. We like to go, you know, um, different places that that maybe I've never been to. And so one of them was a place called Half Moon Campground. Uh, Very few people have actually been to that one. It's just north of Big Timber. So a lot of people, they'll go south along the boulder when they get to Big Timber. But we went north. Now, I called the Ranger District. And I said, hey, you know, what's this campground like? You know, what, how, how's the road going in there? What are the restrictions for fires and all that? And so the ranger told me, she said, you know, the last couple miles of that road is pretty tough. She said, I took a Subaru back there last week, and she said, I bottomed out. Because, you know, you got boulders and potholes. And, and, and so Elizabeth and I, with our children, you know, we, we, we took our trip up there. Beautiful, wilderness area, very scenic. But, man... Elizabeth was playing scout, and she was just watching us lumber along the road and, and walk, watching for the potholes, watching for the boulders. And if you're ever going to reach the destination that God has called you to get to, I'm telling you, there's a bumpy road sometimes that you got to travel down in life. And, and there are wilderness times and wilderness seasons that you have to endure. That's where Israel found themselves. And so what I want to teach you this morning is how you can spot a bump on the road and conquer the king of the hill. Because what's interesting here is there's going to be some giants along the way of your journey. And here's Israel, and they're coming out of Egypt, and they're coming into the promised land. But along that way, they're going to come across some ups and downs, some highs and lows, some bumps, some dry times. And they're going to be faced with some conflict from the kings who occupied the area they were going through. So I'm just going to teach you this morning about spiritual warfare and how to get through certain seasons like this. Uh, I want to start here in Numbers 21 and verse number 1. It tells us that the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, it says he heard that Israel was coming 
on the road to Atherim, and he fought against Israel. And it says he took some of them prisoner. Some of them were prisoner. Let me highlight for you the first thing that is represented here in the king of Arad. The king of Arad represents what I'm going to call bondages. Some of them were taken prisoner. Uh, this is like uh, you know, an enslavement. Now, in, in the Bible times, you're talking about things that happen in the natural. But when we look at history and apply this to our lives, this could represent some form of spiritual enslavement that people find themselves in. A bondage you know, is a particular vice that you might succumb to and feel like you're taken captive by it, like you have very little ability to control it in your life. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter wrote about a person who's overcome by something is brought into bondage. And there are certain moments when people get caught up with you know, a yoke of bondage or they're, they're stuck in a situation that they just can't seem to break through or, or get out of in their life. And there's a number of, of bondages that the scripture speaks about. One such bondage in the book of Galatians is called the yoke of bondage. And he's referring to uh, the, the legalistic lifestyle, a, 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 a life that is subject to the law. And what you'll find is a lot of times people get so caught up in religious behavior that they never experience the life and the liberty that exists in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful that he's the spirit of liberty there's liberty and grace in Jesus. There's abundance. There's freedom. But you can always tell when you're caught in a yoke of bondage when you don't feel like there's any fresh fire in your relationship with God. Like it's, like it's a fearful thing. You're always wondering and worrying if you've done enough. And when people live that way, they feel like they're in a yoke of bondage. And so people get enslaved in various ways. They get enslaved through religion. Uh, another way they get enslaved is when a particular sin is, is so prevalent that it becomes habitual, habitual sin. You know, Galatians also says that uh, if a person is overcome with a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And it, what that's interesting there is it says if a person is overcome. And what that's talking about is someone who has a one-time sin, not something that is a habitual thing, something that is just like, I'm stuck with it. You know, one time I was in a staff meeting with a pastor friend, and it came out that one of the members on staff, you know, had a porn problem. And he was looking at porn on church time. And I remember, you know, that they tried to glow over it. They tried to just say, well, it was, it was just this thing. But actually, there was a long history for it. It was a habitual thing. And it ended up costing this man his job. And when something is so repetitive and habitual, that is where bondages take place. When, when you've got habitual sin, when, when there's a bondage that's just at work in someone, this is where people fall into addictive behavior. And I'm sure grateful for my friend Mark McManus who runs PAR Ministry because he works with uh, addicted people. That is such a plight in society today. I don't know if you keep up with statistics. They have more people overdosing on fentanyl right now than any other thing. It's incredible that we're at like a hundred some thousand uh, fentanyl overdoses in this year alone. I mean, it's all-time epidemic proportions. And it's like people get caught up in addictive behavior. I remember in 2003, I was staying with my uncle Ralph, and he lived in uh, California, had a beautiful home, and my cousin would take uh, weekend little getaways down to Tijuana in her little white Honda Civic, and when she'd come home, 
she would just kind of crash on the couch for days and weeks on end. And when I was, you know, 23, I didn't think anything about it. I just thought she was lazy. But what I found out was she would fill that trunk of the car up with Oxycontin before it was a thing, and she'd just come home with it and deal it out to people. And it took her years to get through that addiction. And it's a terrible thing. People get caught up with all kinds of addictive behavior, and it's a bondage. But you know what I love about Jesus? He is a deliverer, and he can set you free. And I'm just telling you, that's what part of the battle is, is that he knows how to set his people from people's life. When I says that his anointing oil is, uh, uh, breaks the yoke of bondage in people's life. When I read through the story here, I'm reading about how the Israelites fought against Arad, and they overcome, and they conquered that king. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus, through his blood, through his grace, through his word, has given us uh, the ability to be more than conquerors, like we said last week, so you're not beholden to a sin or a bondage that's holding you back. And this I know because it's something I walked through. You know, I, I remember drinking alcohol was the hardest thing for me to quit. It was a bondage in my life. It was headed that way. And I remember on the 16th of May, 1998, that's a long time ago, <laughs> that was the last time I ever had a drink. And one day, God delivered me and set me free. And I'll never forget that. His delivering power was there to save. And I'm telling you, when you meet the Lord, when you know him, he can set you free. And the saddest thing to me is how many people are sitting in prisons with doors that are open because of what Jesus has done at the cross. And yet they'll stay in a place of addiction even though God has made a way for us to be set free from sin. Amen? So if you're struggling with some kind of bondage, some kind of sin that might be holding you back, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus can set you free. That's the power of his blood. There's a, there's a bondage-breaking, burden-removing, yoke-destroying power in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? That's what Arid represents. He represents bondages, and, and the children of Israel, on their way to the promise, that broke through those barriers. Now, let me give you another, another uh, bump on the road here. I'm still in Numbers 21, and I want to highlight verse number 21. It says that Israel sent messengers to Sihon, who was the king of the Amorites. And he said, let me pass through your land. He said, listen, we won't even turn into the fields or the vineyards. We're not even going to drink water from your wells. All we want to do is go by the king's highway until we pass through your territory. You know, the, the, the king's highway was an ancient road that ran from Egypt all the way around the backside of the Judean wilderness by the Dead Sea, and it was traveled through antiquity. The Romans used it in the time of Christ. It's a well-known, established route. That's the route that Israel's on as they're waking their not allow Israel. And it tells us in verse 23 that Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered the people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness, and they came to Jehaz, and they fought against Israel. Now, let me give you a second king you got to conquer. And this is Sihon, who's the king of the Amorites. And what he would represent in my mind are the little hindrances in life, the spiritual opposition that you're faced with. This is like you know, a resistance that creates a frustration. And sometimes it's an unseen thing where you're trying to figure out, you know, what, why don't I feel like I can get ahead? What, why does it feel like I just can't quite get beyond something? And this is what Sihon represents. He, he's trying to be a, a barrier, a roadblock. He's just harassing 
and resisting Israel on their journey. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced, you know, opposition or, you know, roadblocks. It just feels like, man, you just can't quite get through. You can't break through in certain areas. And, and you know, this happened to me when I was probably in my 20s, early 20s. I remember I was learning how to handle money. And, you know, I remember for some reason it just felt like I couldn't get ahead. It was like, I, I don't know if it was the bad spending habits of a 20-year-old or a credit card where you're trying to figure out, when did I buy that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's one of those things where I just felt like for the longest time, it took me several years to, to, to really start making some progress financially. It took the Lord, you know, showing me things, highlighting things to me. It took some dedication, but eventually I was able to kind of break through that opposition, that resistance. You know, the thing about the devil is he loves to trip you up. And he like, he, he's got these little tactics, little, little opposing forces that will work against you. It's interesting that the Song of Solomon says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Sometimes it's those little hindering things that hold you up. Now, one of the things Satan loves to oppose and hinder is truth. You know, he is the father of lies. And there's a book written called The Art of War by a Chinese man named Sin Tzu. And he wrote it back in like the 4th century. And he says all of warfare is basically the art of deceiving somebody. And this is one of Satan's greatest tactics. He loves to deceive people. It's subterfuge. He wants to lie to you so it hinders you, it trips you up. And that's what, that's what he relishes. It's one of his great tactics. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we need to take every thought captive that exalts itself or opposes itself against the knowledge of God. So when truth is present, when you're faced with truth, when, when the light of God's word or his truth shines in a situation, Satan has this ability to just kind of lie. It's a little opposition. It's seed in your mind, so you don't know if it really is the truth or not. It's a little opposition. It's a hindrance that stops people. He, he likes to hinder it. Uh, Satan wants to oppose your spiritual growth, your personal development, and the progress that you're making in life. It, little things that trip you up. You know, it's like you're supposed to be reading through the one-year Bible, and if you made it through you know, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, you should pat yourself on the back. But when you get to this point of the year, you kind of get bogged down in the book of Jeremiah. Come on, somebody which is a hard one to follow. You think, man, I don't know. Isn't it amazing how, you know, little things can hinder you from growing in your faith with God? The little things. Little things that hinder people from church attendance. Because, you know, they've got this softball game and they've got that commitment and this family reunion you don't even want to go to. But you'll find a way of, you know, just, you know, skipping out of some things. Your, your growth is being hindered. Sometimes the wrong people show up and you give them too much of a voice and, and it hinders you from progress. And you know what? I think probably the greatest weapon Satan uses in this culture right now is it's called busyness. You ever ask someone, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm just busy. And it's like, we're proud of ourselves because we're busy. But the busyness might actually be the thing that's holding you back from really growing in your relationship with God. And it's, it's so amazing. I'm, people are just busy. We have all this technology which is supposed to make your life easier and you are busier than you've ever been before. Hindrances. What Satan wants to do is he wants to hinder the plan of God for your life. Because, you know, he sees what you don't see. He sees the potential that you have. 
and he views you as a threat. And so what he works to do is keep you distracted. He keeps you discouraged. And, and he's trying to get you to quit. He's trying to get you to throw the towel. And he says, I don't, you know, he wants you to be in a place where you're easily pushed to and fro by things. He wants to shift your focus away from what you should be doing. And, and this is just little things, little things that he puts in your path that kind of hinder you and hold you up, stop you. But, you know, I like what the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 12. It says we overcome him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of of our testimony. You know, what's interesting is how Israel defeated Sihon. In verse 24, it says they defeated him with the edge of the sword. Now, sometimes you're just going to have to fight back with what the enemy brings at you, and you got to fight back with the word of God. We talked about this last week, man, because that sword in your hand is the word of God, and it is sharp. And you know what happens is it was, it's like sometimes when you're going down life, you might feel tethered or tied down. But the word of the Lord, that sword in your hand, is what allows you to cut off some ropes that entangle you. Those little hindrances, like a machete going through a a jungle. That's what the word of God will do for you in your life. You know what was interesting to me was before my... So he wrote, uh, he had had a dream just about a month before he died, and he couldn't talk. So he wrote it down on his legal notepad. And, And he wrote down... Uh, about a church. He said, you know, one day you're going to pastor a church. And he said, God is going to bless it. And he said that you should build your church on the word of God. And he gave me a scripture verse, Joshua 1 and verse 8, which says, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I'll meditate on it day and night that I might observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. And, and all my days, I've endeavored to build my ministry, my life on the word of God. It's a sure foundation. It's a sword that cuts through things. And when you feel hindered and stuck and can't quite move forward, I'm just telling you that the Bible gives you some answers on how you can proceed forward and win battles. Amen? That's why I always like to give people scripture verses. It encourages them. It's how you overcome the little things that are holding you back, little oppositions. Now, let me give you number three here. Here's the third bump in the road, and it's found in verse number 33. I'm still in Numbers 21. And if you can get through you know, some bondages in your life, and you can get through uh, the little things that happen, here's a third thing that is sure to trip you up sometimes. Verse 33. It says that Israel turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So it says Og, king of Bashan. And that's an interesting name, O-G, Og, the king of Bashan went against them, and he fought, or all his people at Indri. And it says that the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand. Let me stop right there. Do not fear him. Now, what this really speaks to me about are the intimidations you'll face. That's what Og, the king of Bashan, represents, is intimidation. Now, I was thinking, I was, I was like, Lord, Why? Were these guys intimidated by Og, the king of Bashan? And I found the answer is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 3. Do you know Og was, was listed as one of the descendants of the giants? So th- this guy was an OG. He was the size of Shaquille O'Neal. And he scared everybody. I mean, they were intimidated by his stature and by his size. Have you ever been intimidated? You know, I remember we were playing basketball in the seventh grade at, at Elder Grove, and my buddy Eric was on the team with me. 
<laughs> and I remember in seventh grade, they had a guy there named Ryan Wetzel who went to St. Francis, and he was six foot three and could slam dunk the basketball. And here I am, acne riddled, you know, voice crackling from puberty, watching another guy slam dunk a basketball. I mean, that's called intimidation. I mean, I felt like, you know, I was in the land of giants. That's how Israel felt when they're coming through. They see these guys that are enormous, and it was intimidating to them. You know, aside from lying to you, Satan's greatest tactic might be that he tries to scare you. Think about fear. That's something he loves to do, man. He likes to scare you with little lies. And the thing about fear is the Bible calls it a tormenting force. That's 1 John 4, verse 18. It says fear involves torment. And isn't it amazing when you get fearful, it's like this consuming sense of dread that just torments you. You spend time thinking about it. And it's amazing how it manifests in people. Because, you know, I got two little girls, and when they get scared, one of them just quivers. And the other one, I can hear the pitter-patter of the feet running from, you know, whatever she's watching into her bedroom. (laughs) And it's like, that's why at night, you know, sometimes they might get a nightmare or something. You wouldn't, why are you scared of that? My sister one time was having reoccurring nightmares from watching the shaggy dog. Remember the Disney movie? The guy would turn into a dog. My sister would freak out, scream. I mean, you know what happens is sometimes it's just a tormenting thought in your mind. This is why you wake up sometimes in the middle of the night dwelling on things. That, you know, you're worried about this. What does the future hold? What's going to happen? Why, why is this going through? It's a tormenting thought. And that's what the enemy likes to do. He likes to torment you. He, he, he's, he's planting little seeds. Fear is one of those things that's not just tormenting, it's paralyzing. I mean, it'll get you to just kind of lock up so that you don't ever act on something. Isn't that interesting that a lot of times, you know, you should act and move forward, but fear will paralyze you so you do nothing because you're afraid even if I did something, I don't know that it would work. And this is what happens with people. It's like fear just kind of paralyzes. You know what David did, though, when he was faced with giants? I like what it says in 1 Samuel 17. He ran towards Goliath. Sometimes you have to take decisive action in a moment, even when you're afraid, overcoming that fear that's paralyzing you and moving towards the target. That's sometimes how you got to win battles. You know what people are really afraid of when we talk about fear is they're afraid of confrontation. And I see this so often in a person's life. They don't want to go through the emotional conflict, the turmoil that it takes to confront an issue. And so instead of confronting an issue, they just settle for things. They'll never move forward. They just kind of sit there paralyzed. But I have found that whatever you are unwilling to confront is something you'll never overcome it. If you can't confront it, you won't ever overcome something. And that's what Israel's faced with here. There's a battle against Og, the king of Bashan, who's a giant, and he's intimidating them. And they're going to go to battle against him and defeat him. You know what happens with, uh, with fear is it's tormenting, it's paralyzing, and it's very confusing. When you get afraid, it's like you forget about how good God has been to you and what he's brought you through. I mean, if you read through the rest of the verse here in verse 34, he said, don't fear him, for I've delivered him into your hand, and I'm going to do to him as I did to Simon. Get above the Amorites. I mean, isn't that amazing? When you are afraid, you can forget about all the times when God delivered you from that financial problem you were faced with. 
I can look back at life and thank God for the pitfalls that he's delivered me from, the, my kid being in the hospital that he brought me through. I, I can think about all the time that he's been there faithful in my life to help me get through struggles, trials, battles, emotional ups and downs. And God has been faithful to me every step of the way. But if you live with fear, it's like, man, you kind of forget about it. It's confusing. You, your memory's foggy. You have a hard time ever thinking God could bring you through something. That's the work of the enemy. What did I tell you last week? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God's done for you. So you can always tell when the enemy is at work when you are afraid. When there's a tormenting fear that's attached to it, you know God is not in that. You know that's the enemy and he's at work. Because when you have the presence of the Lord in your life, when you have power, love, and a sound mind, it's going to bring the peace of God in a situation. Man, his peace is what can get you through battles, get you through moments where you're scared, where you're frustrated. It's the peace of God. When I'm in a conflict, when I'm in a moment where I don't know what to do, I look for the peace of God. And his peace will bring me through something. If fear is involved, I, I, I don't, that, that's not something I'm beholden to. I don't have to settle for that. So in the journey that you're traveling down, he's just trying to trip you up with fear and lies, and he's trying to get you not to keep on moving forward. Now, I want to give you a fourth thing, and I'm staying in this same passage of Scripture. Actually, it's in chapter 22. I want to highlight two more characters here. The last point I want to make is about a man in verse 2 whose name is Balak, the son of Zippor. And he saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. He's watching their progress, and he's getting concerned. It tells us in verse 4 that Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at that time. And Israel, he says, he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor. He, he, here's the king, Balaam, and he's got a prophet for hire whose name is Balaam. And he said to him uh, in verse 6, come at once and curse. Everyone say curse. Curse this people for me. They're too mighty for me. Perhaps I'll be able to defeat them. And drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, here we got a fourth little bump on the road. Balak, who is the king of Moab, and he's with a false prophet named Balaam. And what this represents is witchcraft. He's trying to curse the people of God. Sorcery, spells incantations. You know, when you think about witchcraft, you think that it's this spooky thing. But actually, if you want God's will, is, is it's any attempt to try to get around God's will or his purposes or his power using another means. That's really what witchcraft is. It's an usurping of God's authority and his purposes. And in this case, that's, what's, that, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, well, these guys seem like they're coming and everything else has failed. We need to curse them. You know, this is expressly condemned in the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 10. If a person is engaged in witchcraft and false prophecy, then that person, the Bible said, needed to be killed and stoned. So this is a serious offense in the sight of God. Now, I'm going to be just totally honest with you. A lot of times, if I'm engaged in a battle in my mind, if I feel like I'm in a dry spot or a wilderness time, my first reaction is not to think, oh, witchcraft is at work. 
I mean, I'm not one of those people who thinks there's a devil behind every rock and tree. I have found out there's more devils out there than you think. <laughs> but my, a lot of times, God literally will have to show me. I mean, it have to be something he reveals to me that maybe there's a spirit at work. And I've had this where I'll get like depressed and I don't know what's going on. I get down and it's really incredible. And for my case, he just tends to speak to me in dreams. I often will have a dream, you know, of some resistance. That's how I know it's a, a spirit at work. It's witchcraft that works. Now, let me tell you how witchcraft works against people. It's interesting. He just wanted him to curse Israel. The first way that witchcraft works is it works through word curses. It's like the words that you speak against somebody sometimes can be like a little seed that kind of gets down in your heart. And if you're not careful and you dwell upon it too much, it can really grow up into something. And it's kind of like that little rock that you have in your shoe. And you feel like it's an enormous boulder until you take your shoe out and just, it's a little thing. And that's, what, that's the way witchcraft works. When you look at like the life of a child, so, some of the most deviant people are people who grew up in homes where they were always criticized, always condemned. There was no love. They were, they were told they're worthless. They're never going to amount to anything. And what that is, so through words that's been spoken and it's working itself out in a person's life. So witchcraft works on a basic level through word curses, through, through curses that might be put on someone. Now, there's another way that witchcraft works. It's a verse I've always been intrigued with, and that's from the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. I think I have it on the screen. And in this, in this verse, it's interesting. Samuel, the prophet, is confronting Saul, who rebelled. God told him to do something, to kill all the uh, Amorites, and he wouldn't do it. And he said that witchcraft is like the, or that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. That is an interesting thought. That rebellion, actually, when it is witchcraft. When witchcraft is at work, it manifests through rebellious behavior. We have a society today that relishes in being a rebel. I mean, it's like the more rebellious you are, the cooler that you are. And you know how you can identify when rebellion is at work is whenever there is a lack of honor that is given to somebody. And man, we see this all the time. I remember being in school and we would have a substitute teacher. And <laughs> you remember what that's like. You always just lie to them and tell them that we don't have homework. No, we're not in this assignment. <laughs> and that's kind of what people do. That, that's witchcraft at work. Teachers need to be honored. They're an authority position. So you can see it even on a fundamental level with children. Sometimes they don't have honor. They have rebellion towards teachers. You know what else uh, sometimes people don't honor and appreciate, particularly when they're young, is with the elderly. Man, it took me many years to really appreciate grandma and grandpa. And now I do appreciate them more than I ever have. And it was, it was you know, years of me kind of like, you know, not having any honor there, but I appreciate them. What about the police officers? Man, I appreciate law enforcement. Every time I get pulled over, I tell them that, and they usually don't give me a ticket when I do. <laughs> That might be manipulation. But we should appreciate law enforcement. You, you, know, you know who else you should appreciate? It's politicians. I know there's some low-hanging fruit. You could really throw at some politicians. But even the ones I disagree with and don't care about and didn't vote for, if I'm in their presence, I acknowledge them and I pray for them and I'm respectful to them. That, 
that is an honoring thing because I don't want to be accused of rebellious behavior. God does not honor that when you speak evil of the rulers of your people. That's in the Bible. Yeah. You know, preachers get a bad rap. It used to be preachers were like people that were respected, and I'm sorry to tell you, not anymore. I mean, I remember one time a couple years ago, I, had, I took a little Christmas job up at the airport, and I remember a man named Stu found out I was a preacher. And he told me, well, I'm, that's good because we need someone here to keep this place warm with all the hot air you bloviate. Yeah. And then my friend Stu became Stucifer, <laughs> which he thought was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, what really, where the rubber really meets the road is the boss you don't like. And rebellion and witchcraft is something that will undermine, go behind his back, and, oh, I'm stepping on toes. Because there's a lot of clown bosses. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah. But honoring people is evidence that you're not rebelling and wa- working in witchcraft. Let me give you one more verse about witchcraft and the way it works. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14. And I want to tie this together back with Balaam. Because what speaks about here is the doctrine of Balaam. Do you see that up there? The doctrine of Balaam. Who it says taught Balak the king. That's what we're here. Numbers 21. Revelation 14 is a reference to Numbers 21. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Let me, let me talk about the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, he could not curse Israel. Balak's getting paid to go up on a high hill. And he's getting paid to just tell you know, to find out if God would anoint him to prophesy against them. And every time, God said, I'm not going to curse them. They're blessed. And so, because he could not get a curse to work, he goes back, Balaam the prophet went back to Balak, and he said, here's what you got to do. This is the doctrine of Balaam. You need to send some scantily clad women over across the wilderness into their camp and get them to have sexual relationships with them, sexual immorality. And in doing that, they're going to be open to their idols, and they're gods. And that's what you'll read about. You'll read that, that they ended up going over into the camp and, and having sexual immorality with some of those uh, Israeli men. And it, it finally took Phineas to actually kill some of the people that were doing that to get that to stop. Because listen, it's a serious thing in the sight of God. Let me tell you something that a lot of times you're not going to hear in church. Having sex to people that you're not married to is rebellion against God. And you know what's interesting is whenever you're struggling with maybe a sense of lust or you're looking you know, inappropriately at, at a woman, at whoever, that, that could be an indication that witchcraft is at work. could be an indication that there's a spirit that's trying to harass you and seduce you. I'm just teaching you all the Bible this morning because th- these are things that stand in your way. That's what they had to face over there as they're coming to the promise. They had to stand uh, against witchcraft. But you don't know how you're going to win your battles? You want to know how you overcome the enemy? Is you're going to win battles in life when you understand that obedience is better than sacrifice. And there's something to be said about faithful, patient continuance and well-doing that when you submit yourself under the hand of God, He will bless you. And I'm just telling you, there's something about resolve, perseverance, staying faithful, staying committed, grinding, going after God, following through. That is how you get through wilderness seasons. You just stay faithful in the things of God and watch how God blesses you. You know, I was thinking about that 
camping trip I went on to Half Moon Campground. And the last 15 miles took us about one hour to get down the road, lumbering along through the bumps and the ups and the downs. But, you know, when we got to our destination, it was beautiful. We had the place to ourselves, and nobody was up there, man. There's a destination God has for you. How many of you want to reach your destination? How many of you want to get to the promised land God's got for you? Get through these seasons of life you're walking through. Well, it could be that maybe there's a bondage in your path that's holding you back. A sin that just seems to be reoccurring. You're having a hard time. You don't know why. You don't want it. You know, I found out about people who are addicted to things. They don't want to be addicted. It's like they're stuck in a place. And I'm just telling you that Jesus has the power to deliver you and set you free. That's the God that I serve. He did it for me. He can do it for you. And it could be that's a barrier, a block in your path. Or, you know, it could be the fact that there's little hindrances, little foxes, little things holding you up, little things that are tripping you uh, along your path. Uh, Unseen forces that you just can't quite figure out why. And what that's going to take is the renewing of your mind. That's going to take you taking the Word of God and being faithful and studying it and, and getting your mind in a place where your reaction is to, to what the Scriptures say about it. That's how you get through a hindrance. Or it could be that you're intimidated, afraid about something. Man, how many people live in fear? How many people make bad decisions because they're afraid of something? They're afraid to be single, so they settle for the wrong person. They're afraid of you know, failure, so they never step out into something. They're, they're afraid of lack, so they never give to God. And, and there's these battles along the way, but fear might be one of those things that's really stopping you from progressing with God. Or it could be witchcraft. And you don't even know it. It would take God to reveal it to you. I want to tell you something that happened to me very interesting in my life. And it was the, the day before my father died. Now, I remember I was, you know, asleep at night. And I woke up with a nightmare that a wolf was chasing. And it, ter- it woke me up with such fervor. And I knew it was a spirit because I found myself pointing at it in the name of Jesus. And the next day, my dad died. And in praying about that, what the Lord showed me was that there was some generational curses at work. Witchcraft was involved trying to, you know, push me in a direction in life. And it took the Lord showing me that to help set me free in certain areas of my life. Now, I don't know what you're faced with this morning. And it's one of those invisible things that could just be hindering you from moving forward. But I believe that God has a destiny for you. And I want to pray that in the journey you're on, the path that you're taking, God would deliver you and bring you into the promised land. And if you need prayer for something that's specific or you, you, know, you want freedom from oppression, we can pray for you. And the Lord will set you free. That's what it says. Call for the elders of the church. Lay hands on them. Anoint them with oil. God will save him. God will deliver him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, over the people of God, I'm praying great destinies. Lord, eyes not seen, nor has ear heard, nor have entered the heart of a man the things God has prepared for them that love him. And you've got a beautiful purpose. You've got great things ahead for your people. And I pray, Lord, that you just show us what things are hindering us, what things are holding us back, what, what little blockages, what little hindering things. What, maybe, it's, maybe it's a spirit that's the word. God, you reveal it. You show it. You are able to expose everything hidden can be revealed in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for bringing your people into a place of great victory, a place of great freedom in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. I'm telling you, God's got great things ahead for you. You know, I I was uh, thinking about what Psalm 68 says. 
It tells us that he puts homeless people in homes. He puts people who, you know, need a family in families. But then it says in verse 6 that the rebellious dwell in a dry land. In other words, rebellious people dwell in the wilderness. It seems that the only people God can't handle are rebellious people. I thought that was very interesting. If you understand human nature, you know, though, that there's a rebelliousness inside every one of us. But God has a destination for you. He's got a promised land for you, an eternal abode, a heavenly city. And, and, and he wants you to be with him. But the only people who won't be in heaven are rebels. People who've said no to him, people who've gone their own path. That's all who's left outside of the city. Think about that. People who've chosen their own path. And this morning, I just want to give you a chance. Maybe you're, maybe you're a rebel. Maybe you've been going your own direction, and, and you know it's going to take you into a dry place, a difficult place. That, that's how you end up in the wilderness year after year after year. Never in a place of blessing and promised land. It's rebellion. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe this morning you're not right with God. You had, know you've been drifting. There's, there's a rebelliousness there. And I want to just pray over you. Put a hand up, and you can submit yourself to the Lord. Get right with Him. Give your life over to Him. He'll walk with you. He'll take you by the hand, lead you into a dry, into a, into a broad place. Amen. Amen. Why don't you uh, stand up with me this morning? Man, it's great to have you out in the house of the Lord. And uh, <laughs> I, I felt like that the word I brought today, man, it could set some people free who need to hear that. And I believe that God has got a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful destiny ahead of you. I want to thank you for coming to church today. I want you to know we value, we bless you. If you need someone to pray with you, these altars are open. And we just encourage you, uh, stay perseverant in your walk with God. Have resolve in these days that we're in. I mean, next week, you know, it's Halloween. I'm going to finish out our series. And after that, I'm going to do some teaching about the times that we're in. Because, man, I'm telling you, the hour is late. And you can see all these things taking place in the world. And this is a moment for you to continue and persevere in your walk with God. That's my encouragement for you this week. Grow in your relationship with God. Watch what he brings you through. Amen? Amen. So we love y'all. I'll have my altar team come down. We will catch you all next week. It's good to have you out in the house of the Lord.